Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Seventh Commandment is our first lesson for today. We're also going to look at Acts chapter 5. So I'm going to read the seventh commandment to you, which is just four words. So here it is. Here is your sovereign, all-sufficient Savior's words from Exodus chapter 20. You shall not steal. That's it. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? That's the seventh commandment. So now, here's a pop quiz on applying the seventh commandment. You ready? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you four scenarios. They're listed in your worship guide. And for each scenario, you're going to tell me if the individual is guilty or innocent of keeping or breaking the seventh commandment, or if it's kind of a gray area. We'll start out with an easy one. Ready? A young lady racked up a number of library fines and refused to pay them. Is she guilty or innocent of keeping or breaking the seventh commandment? Or is that kind of a gray area? Here's number two. An older gentleman is out on the golf course. He finds a very nice Rolex watch and he takes it to the pro shop. He's about to turn it in to the lost and found, but then he notices the young man behind the counter looks like he has maybe some sticky fingers. So instead, he gives his phone number, his address, and his ID to the pro shop and says, if the owner of this watch comes looking for it, please call me, write me, send him to me. I want to give it back. It's number two. Number three a gentleman and his best friend take on a number of daring deeds to outfox the rich, but it's all so that people less fortunate can have some. Guilty or innocent. Here's the last one. A couple bequeaths their entire estate. They donate it to the church and they tell the church and all their friends that this is their entire estate, except it's not, and they know that. Guilty or innocent, or is that kind of a gray area? The purpose of the quiz is to get all of us to think through all of the times and places in our life where we are confronted with the possibility of pilfering something. I mean, It kind of happens a lot. Maybe it's growing up and mom says, don't take a cookie off the counter. Maybe it was just this last week your spouse said that to you. Maybe it's dad's loose change or maybe it's the classic example of a staple or a paperclip at work. Or maybe you borrow something with every intention to give it back, but you forget. You know, if there's one commandment that I think we can all say, okay, I've broken it, it's the seventh commandment. 
Perhaps we can all say, okay, I know I shouldn't have taken this thing, but I did. And so as we think about this commandment, our problem with it is not so much that we don't think we're perfect in keeping it or we don't understand what you shall not steal means. But our problem with the seventh commandment is that we diminish it. The five-finger discount is so commonplace that we kind of just discount that it's actually stealing. We think to myself, you know what? I'm not a bank robber. I've never stolen a car. Sure, maybe I've taken some stuff that, yeah, I probably shouldn't, but come on. So what the real problem is, is this. This is our first fill in blank. That we limit the reach of this command so that it condemns something something other, usually it's something far greater than what we're actually currently guilty of doing. We make excuses to trivialize and justify what we've taken so we don't feel so bad. And that's why our sermon lesson for today might sting. Our sermon lesson comes from Acts chapter 5. But before I read it, you're probably wondering how you did on the quiz. Let me give you two of the answers now. I'll give you two later. This one, number three, just copy-paste, somewhat modified Disney Plus's uh, definition and description, excuse me, for the classic movie Robin Hood. As much as we love the cute little fox and the story of Robin Hood... He's guilty of breaking the seventh commandment. Number four, the couple that bequeathed their estate, donated their estate to the church, that's from Acts chapter five. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. But brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing. You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. 
great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is God's word. Shocking. But notice this. Peter isn't mad that they just gave some of the money. Peter never says that they had to give all of the money. Peter's not mad about that. Peter even said, it's yours. You can do whatever you want with your stuff. But what Peter is calling them out for is not so much that they stole from people or they stole from the church, but they conspired to steal from God. And so they fell down and died. If you heard that story, (laughs) your reaction was, what? I can't believe that that happened to people in the New Testament. You're not alone. If you read that story and it's somewhat offensive, maybe even shocking that, well, God would just kill them. And you you find yourself asking God, like, couldn't you just punish them with with something that like kind of fit the crime? You're not alone. I thought that too. I think that every time I read that story. But perhaps that's evidence that we try to limit the reach of this command. So even, even without us, the seventh commandment condemns something other than, than what we or people are truly guilty of. We try to trivialize and rationalize the seventh commandment all the time. You think about Ananias and Sapphira. They donated to the church. I mean, come on, God. We all know there's people who don't give anything to the church. Don't see it killing them. We try to minimize, trivialize the seventh commandment all the time. But the truth is, we steal all the time. We are constantly crooks. When we don't let anyone else ever get in a word and we monopolize a conversation, what are we doing than stealing someone's time? When we gossip, we're stealing someone's credibility and their respectability. When we criticize, we steal someone's dignity. When we antagonize, we steal someone's patience. When we alienate someone, we steal their opportunity to experience community. When we isolate ourselves, we steal the opportunity for someone to be strengthened and encouraged by us. When we refuse to forgive, we steal the possibility of reconciliation. When we fail to speak loving and affectionate words, we steal love and affirmation from others. When we shut down and we do not forgive other people, we steal the opportunity for reconciliation. When we're workaholics, we rob our friends and our family from everything that God wants to give to our friends and family through us. When we're lazy at work or we work from home, and we don't work, we steal from our employers. I could keep listing these on, and so I will. When we allow people to believe an idea is ours, but it's really not, we steal credit. When we lie and manipulate, we steal trust. When we complain and act irrationally, we steal people's calm. When we complain and are 
pushy and always want to be first, we steal opportunities from other people when we make everything about us and our accomplishments. We steal attention from others when our children, when we, excuse me, as children, don't honor our father and mother and and we make our parents worry. We steal our parents' peace of mind. When we as parents don't invest in our marriage, we steal stability from our kids When we as single people have sex with people that aren't our spouses, we steal from their future spouse. When we cheat on tests, we steal from our schools and our institutions of education. We cheat on our taxes. We steal from the government. What I just did was list 21 ways that you and I steal, and none of those ways have anything to do with money or concrete possessions. And if you're sitting here thinking to yourself, man, I never really thought that those are breaches of breaking the seventh commandment. Perhaps it's because you've spent far too long trying to limit the reach of this commandment So it just doesn't condemn that which you are guilty of doing. We steal all the time. But what's worse than actually stealing and covering it up is why we steal. Have you ever thought about why you steal in all those ways and more? A wise pastor once says this, that the sin underneath all sins is us believing a lie. It's us believing a lie that we cannot trust the love and grace of Jesus. It's believing a lie that we can't trust the love and grace of Jesus, and we must take matters into our own hands. The sin behind all sins, including the sin of the seventh commandment, is us not believing God not trusting the promises that he made and the fact that he can and will and does make good on all his promises. We steal affirmation because we don't believe that before God, Jesus is our mediator and affirms us. We steal love because we don't feel or believe we're loved enough by God. We steal money and possessions because we don't stop and look that that it's God who has given us everything that we have in our life, and he who has been faithful will always be faithful. We steal credit because we don't believe that God credits righteousness to us and our identity is sound in him. We steal all the time because we look for the things, the things that which only God can give, and we want to take it for ourselves. And we'll take it at all costs, even if it means that I have to take from you. All our attempts to take are really just a refusal to believe that God He's already given. I mean, think about what this commandment really, really exposes. It exposes unbelief. Thievery is atheism. 
You don't, you don't have to be a theoretical atheist in order to be a functional atheist. You know what I mean? You, don't, you all would say you, you believe in God, theoretically. But practically, functionally, applicably, do you? You say, Matt, I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Pastor Matt, I believe in salvation by grace through faith. And yet, practically, when you do not trust in God, what else is that? The definition of atheism is not believing, not trusting in our God. Stealing, it's just the outward symptom. Stealing is just the outward symptom of not believing that in Christ Jesus, God gives us grace and faith and blessing on top of blessing. And when you understand that, when you grasp that, maybe it's not so absurd that God just offed Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter five, verse 11 says that great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Hopefully by now, we're on the same page. You and I believe that we're guilty of stealing. But does that make you afraid? Should it? Perhaps it should, if it weren't for another thief that I need to tell you about. This name is Jesus and he came to literally take you from sin and death and the devil. Look, I don't know how you picture Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, but scripture, scripture really does paint the picture of him being an untouchable, uncatchable thief who went to hell and actually before he did that, called his own shot, that he was gonna go and break open hell's doors, that he was gonna come and snatch you from the devil, that he was going to take all of your guilt away without you asking. He did all of that and then he turned right around and then he destroyed sin, death, and the devil. And he did that for you. He did that for your forgiveness for all your sins, even your sins of stealing. But just wait, just wait. Before you start picturing Jesus as a thief, let's make sure we don't get that picture twisted <laughs> because Jesus is not like the legend of Robin Hood. Jesus is, is not somebody who, who just, uh, you know, really empathize with the poor. No, he is the king of kings. He is the one who has all things and he came to us who, who had nothing. It's not like God just looked at us and said, oh, I kind of like those guys. Poor humanity. <laughs> Looks like some big evil force really, really took from them. I'm going to come and because they have such the potential to be nice and generous, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be their savior. No, we were the thieves. We were the ones who have stolen, not just from people, not just from institutions like church or government or schools, but literally have conspired to steal against the Holy Spirit. And yet 
Look at the incarnation. This is where you get the real picture of who Jesus is. He is the one who had everything, and he came to those who had nothing. He came to you and I, whose fingerprints are all over the crime scene, whose hands are incredibly messy with stealing, and he got his hands dirty with his own blood to pay for our sins. I mean, this is mind-blowing. This is mind-blowing that Jesus came to us not because we are good, but because we are bad. He didn't just come in spite of the fact that we are thieves. He came because we have stolen. He came, and it's our guilt that drew Jesus to us so that he could steal it away from us, so that he could take it away from us at every single point in your life and mine in which we take, Jesus gives. You and I look to take affirmation, Jesus gives it. You and I look to take love, Jesus keeps giving and giving and giving. You and I look to take credit, Christ Jesus credits us with his holiness, with his righteousness, and with his perfection. Our next fill in the blank is this, that the one who had everything became nothing so that you and I, those who have nothing, could possess everything. That is the God that we have. On a hill called Calvary, really three thieves died there. Not two. Three thieves died there, but only two were actually guilty. One was innocent. The one that was innocent hung in the middle, and he hung there to take on the punishment for all my thievery and yours, and really all the sins of the whole world. He hung there not because he was guilty of being a thief, but because we are. He hung there and and willingly became that which he was not, a thief, to give us freedom from the punishment for being thieves. He hung there as a thief who took, without asking, from death, from the devil, took away your guilt. And that, (laughs) that is the good news within the story of Ananias and Sapphira. It's really, it's not stated, but it's clearly spoken that there is good news for you and I in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You want to know why? (laughs) Because we don't die. We don't die when we sin. God doesn't do that to us. I don't know how we picture God, but God is not like some mean, menacing God in the Old Testament and some like laid back hippie in the New Testament. No, he is the same God all of the time, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is proved here in this story that he sees sin and he can judge and let his wrath out if he wants And he did that. He did that in the New Testament church to nip in the bud a problem with stealing, to to teach us a lesson, but to also show us that he doesn't end our time of grace every time that we sin. No, he doesn't just not kill us, but he gives us life in Christ. You want to know how you did on the other two questions? from the quiz. Number two, finders keepers. That's a true story. It's my grandfather. And 
My grandfather gave it quite some time, I believe even years before he went to go get the watch fitted for himself. And he still checks in to see if anyone's came around asking for the watch. So I don't know, but I think we would say innocent, not guilty. Number one, also a true story, but it has a little bit of a twist. Thief wasn't a lady, it was a young man. And the thief was me. Before I graduated from college, I racked up $12.73 of library fines, and I had the bright idea that I was going to graduate and just skip town, that I was going to get out of Dodge before they could catch me and make me pay $12.73. It's kind of embarrassing. It's even more embarrassing when you remember this was a Bible college. But thankfully, the college administrators wouldn't let me get away with stealing. When I went to go pick up my last tuition bill, they added $12.73 to my bill. So I've paid those fines, paid them in full. What do I tell you this? It's kind of an embarrassing story. Well, it's because we got to be real about how real the temptation to steal is. It's not just one sermon that's going to fix the problem for us. The reality is maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe in a month, you're going to be tempted to steal. And you might even give in. You might even give in to that temptation. And then the temptation is going to be for you to somehow limit the reach of this command that, ah, what I did, it wasn't actually stealing. You know, come on, I'm, I'm not like a Ponzi schemer. I'm not a jewel thief. And plus, I've given more money to this college than I already should. They're not going to miss $12.73. We do it all the time. We, we try to rationalize and trivialize our sins. But I'm telling you, you don't need to do that because there's a thief who's also your savior who has taken away all your guilt. And your savior actually happens to also be the judge of the whole world. He is the lawgiver, and yet he pronounces you not guilty. And the reason is because Jesus Christ, his son, our savior, busted open hell's doors, took you out of death forever, and removed all of your guilt in Christ. That's the good news. Can I tell you one more story about stealing? When I was in college, I worked for a Nike outlet as a salesperson, and two things really, really shocked me when I worked there. The first is that it shocked me how often people stole shoes. I mean, it happened daily, sometimes even dozens of times per week. And you know who were the worst offenders? It was moms. It was moms who would walk in with their strollers, take their babies out, and then put shoes in. People would come in, try on shoes, put their old ones back in the box, and just walk right out. But you want to know what shocked me more than that? It's what my managers told me to do when I caught someone stealing. Told me to just let them go. And as someone who was a college athlete and thought he was pretty big stuff, that didn't sit very well with me. I thought, come on, let me try to stop him. Come on, Nike, let me just do it. I worked on that one for a little while. But they told me I couldn't do that. They told me I couldn't do that because Nike Corporation has a company policy that says, well, 
there is more legal liability for you trying to stop someone than letting a pair of 50, 100, or $150 shoes just walk out the door. So you wanna know what my managers told me to do if I did catch somebody? You're supposed to stand right in front of them, smile big, compliment their shoes, ask them questions about that, and see if either they stuck around long enough where they could call the police, or if they would admit it themselves but no one ever did. So you just smiled and let them walk. <laughs> Nike employees have to do that because of a law, <laughs> a policy. But my time at Nike reminds me a lot of the open-handed generosity of our God. Because when you steal, you want to know what he does? He doesn't just smile and say, go on, have a good day. What your God does is, is he catches you he puts his arm around you, he forgives you, and then he turns you right around and leads you back into the store of his heavenly treasures. And he said, you look to take, but I'm gonna give all this and more and more and more to you. And then when you're done, I'm gonna give more and more and more of my love, my forgiveness, my hope, my affirmation, my confidence, my purpose, my peace, all of that to you. And so that you and I never have to take anything but realize and know forever that in Christ Jesus, you have been given everything. Amen.